Hello, my name is Pastor Brian Taylor, and you're listening to the sermon series of 2 Corinthians. Our church is Forest Avenue Baptist Church, and we want to welcome you to come join us. Our address is 106 West Forest Avenue, Sherman, Texas, 75090, and our service times are 9.30 for Sunday school and 10.45 for worship. You can contact us online at www.fabcsherman.com or call us at 903-892-3506. We pray that the Lord blesses you through His Word, and thank you for listening. Paul wrote a letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, in which he describes for the Corinthians a gospel that forgives. If you remember anything about the Corinthian church, it was a church steeped in immorality. They were kind of like a port town where sailors would come and party it up. And uh, these military Roman men would come in and they were just looking to have a break from their, uh, you know, their, their duty as, as serving the military in the Roman army. And so they would come and Corinth had temple prostitutes. It had a, obviously it had alcohol and all kinds of things. It was just a party town. It was a town in which um, immorality and even the whole idea of, of uh, they had leadership problems, all kinds of things were, were problems. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter, 2 Corinthians, sorry, in 123, he says, I call God, I call on God as a witness on my life that it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. I do not mean that we have control over your faith. But we are workers with you for your joy because you stand by faith. In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, who will cheer me other than the one who being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy. Because I'm confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of extraordinary troubled and anguished heart. Not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, uh, not to exaggerate, but to all of you. The punishment inflicted upon the majority is sufficient for that person. And as a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, this one may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. And I wrote for this purpose, to test your character to see if you are obedient in everything. And if you forgive anyone, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it's for you in the presence of Christ. And I've done this so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened a door for me. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. But I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ. And he through us, he spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to others, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is competent for this? For we are not like the many who market God's word, God's message for profit. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ. 
behest from God and before God. As we begin the first part of this section of this letter, we see that Paul is dealing with the brother that has been uh, cast out of the Corinthian church because of immorality. How many of you remember that they had a problem with that and that there was this brother who had taken his father's wife and married her, slept with her, lived with her, I don't know, however you want to say it. Basically, his stepmom. Now guys, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that even this was repugnant to the pagans, as you can imagine. But the church dealt with it. They expelled the man. He repented. Now Paul is writing to them, making sure there aren't people still within the church that will not forgive him. Because when you repent of your sins, and let's say in the, in the context of church discipline, which many of us don't even understand today because we don't operate in church discipline today, but if we did, if you came to me and you said, Brian, uh, I'm living with so-and-so, I've left my wife, and you had a church leadership position, and I said, well, brother, uh, what do you want to do about it? You want to leave this girl? You want to repent and go back to your wife? He said, no, I don't want to do that, but I still want to keep my leadership position in the church. Do you know what my answer to you would be? That's not, that's not repentance. Bye-bye. You say, but that's cruel, Brian. How could you tell two people who are living together that they can't be a member of your church when they won't get married? How can I tell people that? Scripture. The Scripture example. Paul deals with this guy who commits adultery, takes his stepmom, sleeps with her, lives with her, and the church expels him out until he repents. And he does repent and come back to the church, and Paul says, don't hold it against him, receive him back, forgive him for he's truly repented. That is church discipline one-on-one. It's what we're supposed to be going back to. And, and I, know, I know we live in the day and age where if this church makes you mad because they come down on you about living together or something, people just walk down to some other church, and the, and the church will what? In open arms, just receive them and say, hey, everybody's a sinner. Come on in. You don't have to repent here. God forgive us. God forbid. The church must stand together and unite because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If the church is not holy, how in the world do we expect sinners to want anything we got in here? I wouldn't. You say, that's the problem. All you Christians are hypocrites. Folks, we're trying. We're trying to hold to this word. Sometimes people don't want us to. We're trying. And Paul says we need to receive this brother back. He has repented. And so, you know, and sometimes it happens in church life. Sometimes somebody does something so bad, and they do repent of it, and yet there's people that won't let them live it down. You ever know that, known that to happen? They won't let them get up. They won't get over it. Brothers, Peter went to Jesus. He said, how many times do I have to give, forgive my brother? Seven? And Jesus said, no. Seventy-seven times seven. We are supposed to be a church. Yes, we hold a church discipline. Yes, we want to be holy. Yes, we're going to call people down when it's time to call people down. But guess what? We are also a church of forgiveness. We've got to model what it means. When people repent 
and say, I'm sorry, I messed up. We have to be ready to reaffirm our love for them. We must make those phone calls and say, hey, brother, I want to tell you how much I love you. I know you haven't felt comfortable. I know you've repented of your sin. I want to tell you something. Listen, I love you so much, and I want you to come back home. We've got to do that kind of stuff. Paul says it's very important. Love and forgiveness go hand in hand. Paul makes up his mind that he will not return to Corinth to discipline them, but he will make sure that they have dealt with this situation and he will return so that he can praise them for what they've done. Listen, Paul also says he wasn't trying to be a control freak. And that's what a lot of times whenever you have these situations happen in your church and your pastor has to make a stand, a lot of times people will accuse him of being a control freak. They say, Pastor, you want to control everything. But Paul says, no, I don't, I don't want to control everything. I, I want to love people. I want to do what's right when rebuke, when it's time to rebuke. But I also want to praise them when they make the right decision. Uh, Christians, we need those who stand against evil. And, but we also need to be people that love and forgive. So why was Paul so confident that his joy would be the joy of the Corinthian church? Why did he want them to know of the abundant love he had for them? Because he believed in the power of Christ's forgiveness. And uh, we'll speak more on this in just a moment, but let's talk about restoration. As Paul continues on the subject of love and forgiveness, his mind returns to the brother that has been expelled from the church because of immorality. And he wants the church to reaffirm their love for him. Every child needs discipline. Every child needs a firm, loving guidance from parents clear expectations, and we need that in our American homes, but we also need it in the church. The problem that we often have in this country today is a lack of discipline, not only in the home, but also in the church. And so there must be, to some degree, a goal of discipline and discipleship and restoration for every single one of us, including me, including me. When your pastor gets out of line, he begins to live or teach contrary to the word of God. You as a leader or even as a lay person, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you are a priest and a king. Did you hear me? Hebrews teaches us that. The priesthood of the believer. You can go to that pastor no matter what he thinks, and you can tell him, listen, this is what scripture says, pastor. You are not operating contrary to God's word. You're not teaching what God's Word teaches. You're not living what God's Word teaches. And in humility and in love, you say to me, Pastor, are you doing this? And if my response is, how dare you, and I'm guilty, that's wrong. In humility, I should be able to take rebuke and correction. I'm an under-shepherd, folks. I still have a leader. His name is King Jesus. And if I can't come underneath his words, then I don't deserve to be in this pulpit. We must seek to restore and to discipline and to love our Christian brothers and sisters, including all the way up to the top. Number three, forgiveness and comforting. So not only do we have love and forgiveness and forgiveness and restoration, but forgiveness and comforting. In forgiveness and restoration, a Christian brother or sister, sometimes there is a need to comfort them. Uh, we looked in this uh, chapter, chapter 1, earlier, where over and over and over again, Paul uses the word parakleo. 
which means to comfort. He uses it again here. So let me be clear with a question about what I'm talking about. Should we offer comfort to someone unwilling to repent? The problem lies if we encourage people in the inappropriate times. I was uh, dealing with a counseling issue one time, and I had a guy come to me, and he said, um, I'm a pretty good guy, Brian. Uh, listen, this, I made this little mistake, but he was just telling me all about his job and how good he was and just what a great person he was. And at the end of that statement, he said, made the, he goes, well, maybe I'm not that good because he had come to me about a sin in his life. Do you know what I should have said? I didn't say this, but I learned something after I counseled with him. I said, it's okay, God's a God of love. Everything's good, you know. God forgives you. But he hadn't quite repented yet. Brothers and sisters, when someone says to you, I'm a pretty good person, but all of a sudden the thing crosses their mind. It's called conviction. And they realize in that moment, that they're not quite as good as they thought they were. That is a good thing. What I should have said is, what you're feeling right now is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that is a great thing that you're feeling that. Why is that good? Because it means that God is trying to get your attention. When he convicts you of something, what he wants you to do is repent. Right? So it's a natural thing to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When he comes and does that, when the Holy Spirit does that, and our response to people should not be, hey, it's okay, sweep it under the rug, God's great, he loves you so much, you don't have to repent. And we don't, It's not that we say we, you don't have to repent, but we encourage them too soon, before they repent. And I'm learning in counseling with people, it would be better to say, what you're feeling is exactly right. It's called conviction. What God is doing is he's wanting you to repent. In other words, reaffirm their feelings. I was counseling this guy, and, and um, he began to feel God's conviction. I, I know he was. But sometimes our approach uh, to the man who, who is repentant is much too harsh, and we need to love those. Because sometimes people come to us, and they have repented, and the devil comes to them, and they, he begins to kick them while they're down. You ever met somebody like this? They have repented. But the devil keeps bringing up the old past and saying, you're worthless, you can never do anything right, you know. In those situations, that person needs comfort. They need encouragement. They need to be told of God's great love, of Christ's sacrifice. Listen, I, they oftentimes need to be told that there is no sin that Jesus Christ hasn't paid for on the cross. And if they have repented, it's forgiven, it's done. As far as the east is from the west, it's been cast from them. Jesus paid it all. They must see the value that they are to God if they are a child of God. They must see how much their father loves them if they are the prodigal son. And Paul begins to talk about, in chapter 2, verse 11, he begins to talk about the satanic schemes. Paul wants believers to be aware that Satan has a scheme about discouragement for every single one of you in this room. Did you know that? Satan's scheme is to keep you down. 
to keep you believing that you'll never be good enough. You can never, uh, God doesn't love you. you for somehow, you're the, you're the odd one out. Everybody else gets it right, and you can't get it right. And that uh, you're, you're basically worthless. Satan's scheme is to continually throw those types of things at you. Paul notices that, and he begins to talk to them about offering encouragement to each other, that they need to be people that tell each other, listen, do not listen to Satan's schemes. Sometimes Satan comes to people and he says, hey, you need to just give up. Often I find that people that walk away from the church because of an issue in their life, and they don't go back to another one, they'll get deeper into sin. Have you ever noticed somebody that does that? They'll fall deeper into sin. Let me tell you why. Because Satan has a scheme. He wants to pull you away from the open teaching of God's word. He wants to pull you away from your quiet time. He wants to distance you from the words of life so that he can begin to destroy you one day at a time. That is his scheme. And if it's alcoholism, he'll use that. If it's drug addiction, he'll use that. If it's food, whatever it is. If it's depression, whatever it is. He wants to pull you. I, I was, I, we were delivering food yesterday. And in one of the homes, the lady asked me to come in and pray with her at Southgate. And they had a group of about four ladies there. And she said, Pastor, I just want you to pray for unity. We've had strife in our home. I said, okay, well, I... My guess is that these are the four ladies having strife, right? Because they're all living there. So I begin to pray. And in my prayer, I said, Lord, everybody has a sinful nature. But we need to comfort each other and encourage each other and live humbly and sacrificially for one another. Christianity, and one of the ladies said to me, this is when it happened. When we stopped going to church. Well, this is not a magic building. These are not magic walls. So what was it? They stopped reading this word. They stopped listening to the words of life. They stopped walking with God on a daily basis. And so if you do that, you will have no weapon to stand against the schemes of Satan. In fact, many times you will not even be aware that he's up to anything. But he is up to something. He seeks your demise. Next, Paul says that we are on display in a triumphant procession. I love the commentator. He was telling this story and describing the words that Paul was using. He, he said Paul was sort of picturing a Roman general coming into town from battle. Back in those days, they had a, a procession, it had three parts. It had the guys in the front. They were captives. And these guys had censors with kind of like, I don't know, kind of kind of like what Sarah and I experienced in Dubai. There was a whole lot of smells there as we were walking through this little market. A lot of herbs or spices going up into the air, fragrances, aromas. And they would carry these things going down the street, swinging them. And behind them would be the general and the army. And they would, people would be singing his praises. But these in the front 
were the victims they were going to let go. They were, they were actually, this was their last day to be a captive. They were going to probably get to become a part of Roman society or do something. Maybe they were going to enter into slavery of some type. I don't know. But they were the ones at least that got to keep their lives, just slinging the sentence. And see, Paul says that to some we are the aroma of life. These guys were happy to sling their censor because they were going to get their life saved, even though they were a POW. The problem is, is there were another group in the back, a group that were heading to death. These were the ones that were walking to the gladiator games, walking to the lions, walking to the bears, walking to the wolves. They would be thrown in an arena and people would watch animals or people tear them limb for limb. They knew they were sentenced to die and they were swinging senses too. And to them, this procession and that smell that they were swinging was the aroma of death. Folks, when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to some people we are the aroma of life, and to other people we are the aroma of death. Have you ever met somebody and you shared your faith with them and they say, I don't want any part of that. You just keep your Jesus over there, okay? You see, there's some people... For whatever reason, right now, the smell and the taste and the words of Christianity is nothing but death. They can see no good thing in it. They care very little for it. They've never been saved. They've never met Jesus personally. And they just, and every time they even hear people talk about Jesus, they just go, ugh. ugh. But there's other people. When we share God's word. All of a sudden, a conviction comes over their heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to them, and they say, Christ says, and the Holy Spirit says to them, you need this word. This word will change you. This word will transform you. I will come into you. I will live with you. I will transform your heart. I will begin a relationship with you. And to those people, we are the aroma of life. Brothers and sisters, we are put on display, Paul says, so that people might hear about a gospel that forgives men and women of their sins. Who is competent for this, Paul says? None of us. Are you competent for this? I love, you know, sometimes we'll ask, have you ever shared your faith? And people, a lot of times people will say, Man, I've never shared my faith because who's competent for that? I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Who's competent? Paul even asks, who's competent? It's a rhetorical question. No one's competent to share the message of the gospel of salvation of the Son of the Most High God. No one's competent, but he still wants us to try. You think well, you would think if God wants us to share, he'd sure make some people that are competent. Sorry, we're just jars of clay, and God has stuck this great message of salvation into these little tiny jars of clay that are, and most people would say are worthless. But it's the message that's important. It's got to be carried in something. It's, whether it's rolled up in a scroll or stuck in a jar of clay, someone's got to carry the message of salvation. And so what if I'm not competent? So what if you're not competent? God will use you. Paul, the greatest apostle, the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary that ever lived, said, who is competent for this? Brothers and sisters, God will equip you. He will call you and he will equip you. Stop worrying about your competency. You're not. That's okay. 
go anyway. Lastly, Paul says, we hold this gospel with sincerity. Simplicity and sincerity. He uses the phrase that we are not like many that peddle God's word for money. Um, I like what Brother Dennis was saying. You were flipping pancakes this morning, and he said that we, uh, we can't, uh, what, we can't muzzle the ox, right? In other words, we, we do have to provide for your pastor. He, he, he does need to pay his bills, right? He, he gets bills like everybody else, and he has the electric bill come through, and he's got to have a way to pay it too. So we don't muzzle the ox, but we make sure everybody can eat. The priests were given a portion of the meat in the temple, so we don't do that. But at the same time, we're not peddlers for money. In other words, no matter what you tithe, no matter what you give, you can't influence me. I have got to be able to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture no matter what you believe. And so, brothers and sisters, I know there's pastors that will stand in the pulpit and they will allow who gives what to influence what they say behind that pulpit. But I'm not a peddler of God's word for money. I've got to remember that. And you are not a peddler of God's word for money. So you've got to hold to what the scriptures say, no matter the cost. This morning, Brother Randy and I were talking about two political figures. One on this side of this, one on this side of Rita. One was liberal, one was very uh, Christian conservative. And one spoke out against something, and now he's paying the price. And the other spoke out against something, and now they're paying the price. Guess what? When you stand up for your faith, there is always a cost. There's always a cost. If you're going to dance around the line, then yeah, you'll probably get both sides angry or both sides happy. But there is always a cost of following your faith and being vocal for Jesus Christ and in that regard, being vocal on the other end. There's a cost. Paul says we must with sincerity of heart and simplicity proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that says, forgive. 